Welcome to the Wheel Nerds. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 36. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And the horrible, horrible things that can happen if you're not ready. What? For things that can happen. What, what kind of what you mean like you mean like asteroids hitting the earth mm. you mean that, the Mayan calendar running out mm-hmm. yeah that one you mean that the one. whole the, the reptilian aliens finally revealing themselves to be earth's true leaders and harvesting us for our meat yes moose living in trees also are oh. very dangerous dogs and cats living together mm-hmm. oh god it's all true now I'm scared I'm no, going the- to retreat into my man man cave below the man cave <laughs> You have a man cave below this man cave? Yes. It's the extremely man... Does that mean it's the man on man cave? <laughs> well, our Google metrics are going to change drastically after this show goes up. <laughs> New links from interesting places. All right. Now, I bring up the what if thing because one of our listeners asked us the what if. What do you bring to prepare? What's the what if you do? Oh, yes. Here we go. It's from uh, uh, Brian. Byron. Brian. Brian. Bri. Brian. Brian. Bri. Bri. B. It's what up, B? It's from B. B, B. B, 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 B. B. Shut up. You are so bad at reading. God damn it. But so he asks, since I'm struggling with this before going on a 4,000-mile ride, how much what-if stuff do you keep in your saddlebags gear? Um, and goes on to ask a few specific things. So I think the interesting 4,000 thing... 4,000-mile ride. That lucky bastard. I know. The interesting thing about this, though, to me is not – and thanks for asking, Brian. But the really interesting thing to me is this what-if game is so much bigger than just this one question. Brian is one of a zillion people thinking, oh, how much what-if do I need to play? You know, what if bears, what if meteors, what if moose and trees? The what-if game is like half the fun of preparing for a trip. It's half the fun and it's half the fear, I think, too. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to propose this. Let's play the what-if game regularly on the show. Okay. Here, here are how the rules of the what if game is going to work, and please write in with your own what if scenarios. Should I write this down? We'll write it down later. Okay. Okay, so first off, it's a what if scenario. What if, insert bad thing that happens on a trip here. Whoever doesn't ask the question is going to have to answer what would you bring with you to prevent this? To prevent it or to deal with it? Either way. Okay. To prevent or deal with it. And then make a judgment of is it worth it to do that? Okay. Because that's really the interesting thing here, and that's really, to me, the the essence of what if. Okay. What if I have a complete and utter engine failure and I throw a rod? Oh, okay. Okay. Here's an aside. I've been corresponding with Chris Scott, mm-hmm. uh, the author of Adventure Motorcycling Handbook. Mm-hmm. He actually made an interesting distinction uh, between what he considers adventure motorcycling and not. Um, to him, adventure motorcycling is you're somewhere like in Nepal or Mongolia. You are somewhere where help cannot reach you. Hmm. That's adventure. Otherwise, he kind of considers it, you know, adventure touring. You're or you're touring. Hmm. And if you're in the Americas or North America, Canada specifically, you're gonna be relatively close to help. It's pretty much all touring. Yeah. Interesting notion. You know, even though you might be out on the Trans America Trail or something, you know, if you got a spot with you, say, and you hit that button, they're going to find you pretty mm-hmm. quick. Yep. How, how prepared you can be. I mean, the, the overboard case I always think of is back to my friend Kevin, who I did the ride through Nevada with. And we just rode on a couple, you know, the the, the loneliest road in America, <laughs> the 50 and the 6. But he had a suitcase full of tools, a literal carry-on suitcase full of tools. Well, that's a lot of what-if planning. <laughs> yeah. 
He was he was ready for the the slow leak in his tire. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. Yeah, but I guess the question to me is always: there's an inherent cost with taking your what if stuff. So I guess the 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 unhelpful but very accurate answer, Brian, might be: think of the what if scenarios and think of what it's going to take to prevent or fix them. And if it costs too much or adds too much weight or, frankly, is just shitty and a pain in the ass, then don't do it. Yeah. I was the flip side of that Kevin ride Mm -hmm. because all I had with me was a credit card and my roadside assistance card. That was all I was carrying up until I got that flat that stranded me in Nevada for three, four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Again... You made a judgment, and you reassessed the cost of that judgment. I chose poorly. I could only entertain Chuck on the phone that time for an hour. You weren't the only person that was talking to me on the phone. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's a judgment you got to make, and the reality of it comes down to don't get hung up on the what-ifs. You'll hear from guests endlessly back in time, and I'm sure millions of more guests in front. Just go. Just go. You know, make the judgment as best you can. You're going to be wrong on some shit. You're going to be right on some shit. And you're going to be overkill on some shit. Just go. Like Brian asked specifically, do you travel with oil? I no. Shit, I, no. I, yeah. No. If you know your bike's burning oil, then maybe take maybe a pour. Maybe you should fix it first. <laughs> hey, some bikes are thirsty that way. You're old. Um, <laughs> maybe you take an oil. Eh. I, I guess I guess if you know it's going to happen, if your bike has a – if you have a known issue – Sure. I, I guess there's a flip side of that. What if What if my bike starts leaking oil? Uh, have you seen things to suggest it will? Okay, let's let's throw that first what if out. I'm, okay. I got one. Okay. What's the first what if? What if you're out on a trip mm-hmm. and your bike starts stuttering and dying sporadically by the side of the road? Okay, so let's talk about what we could do to prevent that. And it hasn't done it before. Okay, so we're going to assume that... And it's not a Buell. We're going to assume that basic maintenance is going on. So what could okay. you bring to prevent something like that or fix something like yeah, that? Yeah, what could you do to fix that by the roadside? Or like can a, you? I don't know, like a big giant toolkit and a multimeter and a, and <laughs> like something to dismantle the whole engine? Uh, your notebook and a USB plug so you can plug into the ECM. And <laughs> yeah, I mean. Or do you just call, call it a day at that point and try to soldier on? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to say that this is one where the amount of crap you'd have to bring to fix something like that is going to be too much. Mm-hmm. There, there's a certain amount of stuff you're not going to be willing to do on the side of the road. Yeah, like lie in the desert for three, four hours. Yeah. So I think in this scenario... Well, scorpions crawl over you. I think it's I think it's a not worth playing the what-if game. And there was a wolf howl. Easy there, Trigger. <laughs> and if it was in the desert, it was coyote. Whatever. They'll still eat you. Yes. A lot. They still got teeth. <laughs> Big, pointy, slavering jaws. You had a lot of time to imagine this. Yeah, it was pretty lonely. <laughs> so I think this is a good example of a what if that just it's too rare, too rare, too and rare, not and, worth. And you can't do anything about it anyway. No, you yeah. can either ride home, keep riding. Either way, it's you know whatever. It happened. My real rough rule of thumb mm-hmm. is whatever I'm going to bring for the bike, it's got to go in the top case. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm just, size constraint kind of thing. Right. I don't want to be spreading out more than that. Mm-hmm. My general theory in terms of tools and repair stuff is anything you know is going to break. If you're on a Ural, that means, generally speaking, a couple of bulbs and a brake spring. Or running out of gas. <laughs> or running out of gas is different. That happens on all bikes. <laughs> but, you know, if you know, if there's things you know are brake prone on the bike, so especially if they have broken before. Mm-hmm. Bring one or two, especially if they're small. But, mm-hmm. you know, if it was something big, I, you know, what can you do? Yeah, at some point you're just going to call a roadside assistance. I, yep. I think that's the best thing you should have is roadside assistance. Yep. 
because to, to back you up if you're you know if you can't fix it with your Leatherman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus the reality of the situation is frankly if the bike is even remotely modern, it ain't gonna break. The flip side of that, if it's remotely modern, you might have less of a chance of fixing it. <laughs> <laughs> there is that flip side. I like the roadside assistance for Brian's situation. Yeah, I, four thousand miles. I wish he had told us. Uh, I don't remember him telling us before what he was doing because that sounds pretty cool. It does. Send Most, us a letter. Tell us how cool it is. Send us postcards. That's good too. Uh, backpacking college chicks. Mm, college yeah. chicks. Yeah. Yeah. So several people also uh, sent us uh, some notes about this new show, The Finder. The Finder? Yeah, which has a Ural in it, I guess. What's he finding? I don't know. Things. Stuff. Naked ladies. Sweet. Uh, dead people. Clues. He's finding clues. So he's it's Google? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a guy sitting at Google. <laughs> mm, um, mm. I've only got three minutes to phrase the search term exactly right. <laughs> Pull off the sunglasses dramatically. <laughs> you know, I think we've got a concept for a show. Mm-hmm. We'll call it the Googler. <laughs> a very short show. <laughs> we could pad it out. <laughs> so yeah, this looks like a uh, your classic uh, TV finding people drama type of thing with attractive people with strong jaws solving mysteries with trendy music mixed in loudly. Are you jealous of people with strong jaws? A bit. Is that why you have to go to? Yes, to, to hide your jaw. Yes, to hide my lack of chin. <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a like a prosthetic chin. So I watched a preview. I I didn't see a Euro. I didn't see Euro, and I I don't get it. I don't, I'm not sure what the show is really about. Is he a bounty hunter? Or is, I don't know. Is he is he like Horatio Kane? Attractive the Bones people universe? are solving mysteries. He's not that. His eyes are weird. He's not that attractive. One one eye is like lazy or something. Now I'm going to go back and watch it. Damn I, you. Uh, I, I, I didn't really feel myself attracted to him or any of the women in the show, mm. even the one that had the tattoo on her chest. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it didn't do it for me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. So there's a year on the show? I guess. I don't know. I this see this Todd is just further proof that the Earl's the new hipster douchebag ride. I was there first. Brad Pitt was I had a year old before it was cool. <laughs> Oh, you know what that makes you? Super hipster. <laughs> King of the hipsters. All the other hipsters look to me for guidance. I see your jeans getting tighter by the tighter. second. Tighter. Oh, God. Oh, wedgie. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, we better move on. Is that a tat on your chest? No, no, my tat's on my back. For now. <laughs> it's going to migrate forward. You're going to come next week wearing glasses you don't need. It says something ironic. <laughs> So, this week, we have an interview. All right, so we're on with uh, cranky journalist Dexter Ford. Dexter has driven cars, rode bikes, flown in fighter jets, once raided a South American temple for a golden isle before having it stolen by a French archaeologist. Our first question for you, Dexter, is how do you keep the fedora hat on your head? You wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> He's on to us. Fedora on my head. Actually, I just got a fedora in Ecuador. I got a beautiful, you know where Panama hats come from? Panama? No. Damn it. They almost fall for it. Damn you, Ford. (laughs) And you were just in Ecuador on a motorcycle trip, right? I was indeed. Man, how cool is that? It was very cool. It's a great, great country. You know, I mean, I'm very interested in going pretty much everywhere on a motorcycle. I've been doing that, you know, intermittently all my life. But boy, that it was just so wonderfully strange and unexpected and 
very interesting. And you know, there's all these amazing places all all around the earth that generally Americans don't pay any attention to. And boy, I love going and meeting new people. And you mean places like Kentucky? <laughs> that seems like cheating. I don't understand. How do you refill your Starbucks? Funny thing, Ecuador makes some of the best coffee in the world. I mean, there's all these legendary coffees you can get that are only grown in the Andes of Ecuador, and you can't get a damn cup of coffee in Ecuador. Nobody. You ask for coffee at the best restaurant in town, which is, you know, the only restaurant in town, and they bring you they bring you instant Nescafe. It's just hilarious. Because <laughs> they export it all. Well, they just don't. <laughs> they don't drink coffee. They're they're, yeah, they're coffeeed I, out. I imagine there are there are a few heroin addicts in in Afghanistan. If this is if the, if that if the, if the rule you know holds true, <laughs> <laughs> that means no one in Northern California smoking pot. Could be. <laughs> I don't think they're all going to the bank from. <laughs> so were you doing a tour in Ecuador? How, or were you by yourself, some friends? What was what was the details? I was doing a tour. I was doing a story for Rider Magazine. The company was Ecuador Freedom Bike Travel. So you can, if anybody's interested in going to Ecuador, and you should be, it really just an amazing experience, amazing country. Uh, it's kind of the kind of the. Uh, this this doesn't apply to me, of course. If you're just coming out of a bad divorce and don't and have a, a moderately have a small amount of money and, and just want to drown your sorrows on the beach, this is it. This is the place. Kanoa, Ecuador. Every two or three days, another group of German and Swiss girls come through bike backpacking. It's it's you just. I'm sold. Yeah, <laughs> Chuck's already there. There's, He's there's buying some, tickets. There's a bunch. Yeah, there's a bunch of patriots who go there, and you know they're 26 and they've retired. And they, they don't have any money. I'm booking tickets right now. <laughs> the guy who runs the company is named Court Rand. You can fly into Quito, which I'm sure you know is the, the major city in the highlands of Ecuador. Oh, yes. Totally. Yes. We're good and at geography. Think, it's that way. Well. I'm, I'm pointing. Where's Ecuador? <laughs> what two countries is Ecuador between? Uh, mm, Panama, Nicaragua. No, not Nicaragua. I mean, Costa Rica? Something like that? I have no idea. And North and Trump. South America? <laughs> yes, it's in South America. Okay, we're getting closer. We're closing in. Soon we... <laughs> South America. So that puts it in Kentucky. I can, I can hear a man Googling. I'm hearing that now. <laughs> you know, and I, I like to go places, and I kind of, you know, I, I, I kind of think I'm moderately well-informed, and I had no idea. Peru is just to the south, and Colombia is just to the north. Oh, okay. Sweet. So you, know, you were talking about writing a piece for My Writer magazine. You could still get bylines in, in motorcycle magazines these days? Or actually, let me ask that question a different way. That's, if you, the, it, that's the theory. If you, had a, if you could make a helmet recommendation between Shoei and Arai, which would it be? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now that Snell Foundation has basically surrendered and declared victory, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Man, they're good. <laughs> the Snell 2010 standard, probably the worst international standard there is, but it's not so bad that it really makes that much of a difference anymore. That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> ringing endorsement, yeah. Yeah. For our listeners who may not know, uh, Ford had written an article in Motorcyclist that was uh, critical on Snell, and that kind of led to, uh, I guess, some creative Differences between you and Arai and Shoei and uh, the editorial powers that be. Well, not 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 creative differences. What happened is that in 2005, Mitch Baines, the editor, motorcyclist at the time. Damn you, Bain! Damn, damn it, Bain! <laughs> Get your shit together. The Snell standard was controversial in the helmet industry for a long time. You know, the Snell standard exists. You know, the Snell Foundation exists because they've got people to to build helmets to their standard. Hmm. The only problem is that they've never had any scientific basis for their standard. 
they'll imply a scientific basis for, for the way they did their standards, but they don't. They like so, pull tests out of their asses or something? Or? Well, yeah, kind of. They found uh, a they found a working Zoltan machine. And I, it, the Snell Foundation never do the same courtesy to me. They started out as a, as a, a standards outfit for car racing helmets. Hmm. Uh, you know, back in the midst of time, I guess it was the late '60s or early '70s. A guy had a particularly bad uh, sports car accident. You know, his he flipped and got smushed. One of the founders of the Snell Foundation, a guy named George Snively, with wonderful motives. Uh, you know, d- designed this standard to you know to make sure that the helmets would you know stand up to you know a certain level of crash. But they never they never really had any scientific basis for what they were doing. In a, in, for a car helmet, you know, a Snell helmet makes some sense because a, in a car when you're strapped into a driving seat and and a car goes ground sky ground sky, what may well happen to your head is that you hit your head on the roll bar two or three times, and when you're when you're strapped down, mm-hmm. and that means that you're going to hit the helmet in the same place again and again. Mm-hmm. Ah. So they designed helmets that would to withstand two blows, you know, two test hits in the same place. And Interesting. They kept, and they went to a motorcycle standard. Right, where you don't ever generally hit the same place twice. It's usually yeah. side top, side top, side top, front, back. Yeah, Unless tumble. the movie's badly edited, in which case they just reuse the same shot over and over. Right. right. To make a lo- very long story short, all of the, the governmental helmet standards around the world, which basically add up to the DOT standard for the United States mm-hmm. and the ECE standard, and and the Japan standard is basically pretty close, I think pretty close to the ECE standard. All the governmental standards were pretty good standards. And if you designed a helmet to those standards, it was, it was, it was a real good helmet. The Snell Foundation, for 23 years after the Europeans figured this out, and, and, for, and for at least 20 years after the, Americans, the American government figured this out, they didn't know that small heads weigh less than big heads. Well, there. Hmm. It was a very controversial thing, and that's important because. <laughs> Wait, there were controversial. I've never had yeah, to deal that, with the problems yeah, that... of a small head. <laughs> I mean, if you're, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a tubby guy, and you know, if I'm standing next to you and you're not a tubby guy, you have no evidence that I weigh more than you do. You. Can, that's right. It's just that you can look at me and tell. <laughs> I'm dainty. <laughs> Petite. A petite flower. So, so anyway, the, the Snell standard was just 20 years behind the times. It was mm. it was just antiquated, and we did a bunch of tests uh, in 2005 for a, for an article that ran in Motorcyclist. And instead of the expensive helmets doing better in the tests and protecting your brain better, it turned out that some of the least expensive helmets you can buy were far better helmets in terms of what was going to happen to your brain if you actually fell off a motorcycle. The helmet that won that whole, all those tests was a $80 helmet made in China by HJC and marketed by Z1R. And it kind of didn't matter who made it because all the good manufacturers can make a helmet well. Arai and Shoei, you know, in Europe, they have to sell ECE standard helmets. Probably no better or no worse in terms of impact than, than a, you know, a good seventy nine ninety five plastic helmet that, you know, you got here. But... Because of the Snell standard, they were kind of forced to make helmets that were too stiff and had, they were excessively strong. So it, it was a situation where you could have a crash and the helmet turned out fine. It's just that your brain was now oatmeal. But the graphics on the side would still be, you know, the flashy. Pretty. The Z1R has nice graphics, too. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it, Ford. <laughs> <laughs> the big question around that, I mean, cert- certainly you came in, you went in with facts. You guys actually did some testing on them and stuff. How does it feel a few years down the road? I mean, was has the blowback been continuing or is it sort of settled down? People have sort of forgotten since Shoei and Arai oh, uh, retreated. It's, it's settled down up now. Do you exchange Christmas cards with the motorcyclist folks? <laughs> Not so much, but they moved into my. They moved into the next town. 
they used to be up in Hollywood, and now they're in El Segundo, which is no. We I don't. Brian Catterson and I don't don't speak. We, I, mm-hmm. You know, I haven't run into him. I'd shake his hand and go, "Boy, you really screwed that up." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that wouldn't bug him at all. No. In all the years, you know, I mean, I've been working for Motorcycle Magazine since '74. My first job after college was working for High Torque Magazine. You know, working for dirt bike. And this is the first time that I've ever really seen a magazine knuckle under to an advertiser to the point where they just they just did whatever the advertiser wanted them to do because the advertiser wanted them to do it. Huh. There's really seem to be strong reactions from these people who are in the, and I use air quotes here, the business of safety. We talked to David Huff, and he uh, came in with some data and told some MSF guys, hey, you're, what you're saying is safety is not necessarily, I have, you know, some data to back that up, and they... Uh, <laughs> they were angry. <laughs> he was well, not quite thrown out on his face. We all know people who shouldn't be pilots, right? Ooh, and we all pilots. Know, and we all know people who shouldn't ride motorcycles. Oh, I thought he was calling us pilots because that would be cool. No, no, you're not that cool. Know, are, are you, I'll be Damn. happy to call you pilots if, if you are. Chuck waves his arms and round and runs around the backyard making engine noises, but I don't think that, that counts. That totally counts. <laughs> okay. I've seen Top Gun 12 times. That's close. That's close. So you're as much of a pilot as Tom Cruise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Played. He's probably seen it more times than that. <laughs> and it takes a huge amount of, you know, skill and and you have to take credible responsibility for yourself. I mean, I've been doing this all my life, you know, ever you know, since I was nineteen, and I'm pretty confident now. I mean, I just spent ten days riding through Ecuador where you're gonna be in a cloud at thirteen thousand feet. You can't see past your your front fender and dogs and llamas and potholes and are coming at you. We went four or five days and coming down from the tallest mountain on earth, I, I looked up and I saw a guardrail and I didn't I had no idea what it was. <laughs> I hadn't seen one all that time. I didn't miss them. Very clear what will happen if you drive off the off the side of an Andy. You'd have a really exciting ride. Yeah. A brief <laughs> and exciting remainder of Yeah. So, it's amazing coming back from a, a more, a, you know, a less developed place like that and then coming to Southern California and driving around and just the idea that you could drive along on a road and be sure enough that it's going like, to keep going so that you're pretty sure you're not going to die in the next 10 seconds was just a revelation. The idea that you could be bored on while riding a motorcycle on a on a street was just a whole new thing after I came back from South America. <laughs> You'll be riding along and there'll be like a three-foot, there'll be a four-foot manhole and somebody stole the cover. <laughs> and there's just a four-foot hole. It's four, about four foot wide and four foot long and about five, six foot deep. And you don't want to hit that. <laughs> I've seen that in TJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what one does with a manhole cover. Install it for scrap. Yeah. Okay. Catalytic converters are, are very high demand items in Southern California. Oh. People are cutting them off any car that's, you know, jacked up enough to crawl under. So Southern California is basically the third world is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think the thing was about four years ago. Still pretty big in um, San there? Diego. I'm from San Diego originally. I was just really? there. Yeah, I'm there okay. every month. See, there I was, cranky. <laughs> I know. No, uh, Southern California is great. And, uh, I haven't lost a converter yet. So My neighbor just lost his in December. He's got a jacked up truck. Or my mom's neighbor in San Diego. Jacked up truck. Yeah, all they had to do was just crouch under it. <laughs> I've never understood why you would jack up your truck easier for people to slide under it and take things. It probably didn't occur to him at the, at the time he bought this. <laughs> so they can't. But, I mean, it's funny. The whole jacked up truck thing, trophy trucks, you know, they're, they have lots of suspension travel, but they're not jacked up into the air. See, Todd, this is a Southern Californian talking. Well, yeah, dude had it coming. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you put up a truck up for, man? Let me ask you this. What, would, what do you do for a helmet? 
knowing what you know, you know, doing this these tests yourself, I, what do you do? I, what do you do? I wear my Z1R. I wear an eighty dollars helmet. I wore it all through Ecuador. I ride it. I wear it all the time. I was kind of wondering if he was going to go get like an ECE helmet or something. I have a nice ECE carbon HJC helmet. It just doesn't happen to fit me really well. And, and you know, I couldn't get the regular, it looks like carbon fiber one. I got the one that has like seven dragons and, you know, it's an entire <laughs> video game. I've got that tattoo. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> right here on my nipple. Call me you crazy, wanna... but I just didn't want to be wearing your tattoo on my head. Here, look, Todd, look. It's right next to the Chinese character that says spicy beans. <laughs> spicy bean curd. Thank you. All right, so you, you're saying you you just recommend you know hey a DOT helmet. Yeah, you know you have to have any, a DOT legally you have to have a DOT helmet here. But if you're wearing a normal helmet, no, I I've never seen anybody get stopped in Southern California. There's that one dude that was stay there. Uh, show me your sticker. There's that one dude that wears yeah. the the German novelty helmet that he made a DOT tag for. If you look inside your helmet and there's no styrofoam, that's not a helmet. That's a decoration. <laughs> that's a salad bowl. Yeah, that's a that's a really that's a really bit, uh, ugly yarmulke. <laughs> now the, the article that got uh, brought you to our attention because we're, we're kind of obtuse that way we don't really pay attention we don't know where ecuador is well you don't do active research we're, we're typical you do, americans you do passive research you, you let the you let the information come to you that's exactly what happened here uh, a listener bunch of listeners pointed us to an article you wrote in the new york times about adventure motorcycling right and we like to talk about adventure motorcycling all the time. You know, when we first read your article, we were kind of wondering if it was a dentist or a podiatrist on a brand new GS that stole your spot at the Starbucks or something. And that's what made you cranky about them. Uh, no, I'm not a Starbucks guy. What? It's mostly because I'm cheap. You know, How can you be an adventure motorcyclist if you don't go to Starbucks? Call me crazy. <laughs> You're not with it. Man. I bet you don't even have a matching suit. But the... The thing that got our attention was your your kind of tongue-in-cheek attitude toward the folks that have matching suits and big adventured out monstrosity bikes and don't aluminum, adventure. Shiny aluminum cans. And don't really adventure with them well, much. Yeah, sure. You know, adventure, you know, listen, you know, listen to, to the way you put it, adventured out. Look, I'm adventured out. You know, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know if that means that your fly's open. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm not nude. I'm adventured out. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I'm using that one. That, I mean, first of all, I'm cheap. Second of all, I, I, you know, I just, if you want to go do something, go do it. The people who go do things, go do it. And the people who want to drive around, you know, r- rich parts of the country and, and get everybody to think that they want to go, that they're going to go out and do things, you know, spend spend money on fashion thing, not a not an adventure thing. You know, the guys in Ecuador, I mean, the number of times that we looked at each other in Ecuador when we were freezing our ass off, frozen in a cloud at, on the equator at 14,000 feet and said, this is about enough adventure. We've, so we've, you're saying adventure hurts. Adventure touring and, and this is it. I pitied the guys who were on KLR 650s because they they were too heavy and too tall and too big. I was on a DR650 Suzuki and I I'll ride a DR650 Suzuki anywhere on earth. I, I just I just got off the phone with Peter Egan from Cycle World. He said it pretty well. He said you know, if a DR650 can't get you there, you probably shouldn't be there. So you're saying uh, you know at 14,000 feet on the equator you were adventured out. It was well <laughs> It was ain't scary and hard, you know. And we were this is a this is a guided tour, you know. We we had it under we had a pretty good idea that no matter how bad it got, we pretty soon we were going to be having a beer, you know, in a nice warm restaurant. Um, but can't see past your fender. It's hard to remember that. <laughs> you know, people who do that on their own, you know, I'm I'm over that. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, shit. I've gotten away with so much stuff over my life that I'll be happy to go anywhere where there's where there's pr- pretty much a road. But karmic debt guarantees a llama any time now. Yeah, you know. Well, we we kind of see the adventure writing. The adventuring is, out fad. The adventure out work? fad is it's like the successor to the chopper fad. Yeah, but not that different. You know, the Harley fad. Yeah, it seems like that that same podiatrist lawyer demographics. What, they've gone from choppers to this. You have a real foot problem. What happened? What's the deal with podiatrists? <laughs> I, I dated one briefly. Okay, it didn't end well. He's got an axe to grind. <laughs> the working theory we've got though is that the the new the new wave is going to be vintage. The the pseudo vintage. I, I say this based upon the number of thumbs up and things I get on the URL and the fact that you know. 40-something almost dudes like Chuck I'm not desperately want Shut desperately up. want, you know, Thruxtons and vintage-looking bikes. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that's always been there. You know, kind of, the, there seems to be a wave of, I mean, I just saw this insert from Triumph. But now they're doing, you know, they did this very kind of, you know, self-consciously cool insert, you know, where basically it's just pictures from, you know, a guy who was a, you know, who was a Triumph guy in the 60s and 70s, and they're just using his family photos to try to kind of show that Triumphs have been cool for a long time. So that's kind of the, yeah, it seems that that might be a movement going on. I don't know if there's, if there are numbers behind it. I mean, you know, they're it's, trotting out uh, Steve McQueen pretty hard the past year or so. Well, but I don't know if Triumph's done that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They've got that uh, tri- uh, Steve McQueen. They have several Steve McQueen jackets from Triumph. And uh, this year they've got the, the Bonneville Steve McQueen edition. Okay. That's the smartest thing they could have done. I, didn't, I just didn't hadn't, re- I hadn't realized that they'd, they'd started to do it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're was, totally yeah, running that. If I, was, if I was working on their, their branding or the, you know, their, their advertising, the first thing I would have said was, whatever Steve McQueen's estate wants, give it to them. <laughs> be Steve McQueen and go home. He's the epitome of cool. Be Steve McQueen, be, Lar- be Marlon Brando, and just, just work, sell that. Work that. Work it. Work it. Yeah, like that. that. That's hot. Obviously, motorcycles are you know emotional things. Americans don't buy motorcycles for good reasons, or very, very, very rarely. Yeah, you know, I can't think them, of a single We buy them as a statement about who we are, mostly. And, you know, I mean, look at you know the whole Harley. I mean, Harley, Harley was worth, for a long time, twice as much as General Motors. Even when General Motors was doing moderately well. So the, the fifth biggest motorcycle company in the world was worth more than the world's biggest car company. You know, they may be, you know, they may get back to that. That is, I had no idea. That's craziness. This, this is a man who knows his advertising because he did a, a Nissan, I think it was a Nissan ad. Oh, I don't remember anything about it except it was a picture of a girl's crotch. There you go. That was me. And it, it was awesome. Do I know advertising or what? I, I think it had like an arrow pointing down saying awesome or something. I don't, I don't even know. No, it did what a country, huh? But I remember that. That sticks in my head. Okay. Sticks in your head. The mind of a Chuck. <laughs> so you worked at uh, Indian for a while, too, huh? I did, did the advertising for Indian in, like, 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. What do you think of their of their newest incantation? Incarnation, sorry. I haven't paid that much attention to, you know, I, I from what I hear from from guys who've been to motorcycle shows and seen seen them roll out new models, you know, so far so good. I mean, you know, it's a it's interesting that that Polaris would buy Indian. So you'd think that if you wanted to make a great motorcycle brand, you would have done it with the company that you already owned. People keep thinking that that, that it, you know, like Harley Davidson, you know, it, it wasn't about the motorcycles. It was about it was about the brand. It was about Harley Davidson. I have a Harley, thus I'm a ruggedly independent American rebel. Just like the other three million ruggedly independent <laughs> rebels who ride the same motorcycle, wearing the same clothes, and go to the same place 
And they're podiatrists. Awesome. <laughs> being a podiatrist, I wouldn't want to be one. <laughs> There's a lot of people I wouldn't want to be. I mean, I don't know what Victory... Victory's been around for, what, 15 years, 18 years, 20 years? I don't know. But I don't know what they stand for. Well, they're those cruisers that aren't well, the, Harleys and... The, those um, other cruisers that aren't Harleys. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they got that swoopy-looking tour that looks all pseudo-futuristic. Yeah. It's an interesting point because by buying Indian, they're almost saying, like, Indian's got a better name than Victory has. Uh, Boy, if I could have found somebody to to do it with, I would have bought the Indian. I would have bought the Indian brand and done it myself. After Indian went bankrupt in 04, I think the Indian brand name and all, you know, basically the right to sell Indian motorcycles sold for like two and a half million dollars. I mean, that's a house in some neighborhoods. <laughs> that's a quarter of one day's revenue for Harley when they were doing well. And if I was hard, I mean, the fact that Harley didn't buy Indian just to have it is crazy. Just keep somebody else from using it, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. You know, say Harley's your Toyota. Why wouldn't you want to have a Lexus? Why wouldn't you want to, you know, have a, okay, this isn't, you know, it's an Indian. It's a different thing. It's, you know, maybe not quite as rough and tough. Maybe it's more... Maybe it's kind of more luxury and a little more laid back, and maybe we're going to charge another five thousand bucks for them. Well, Harley's choices for acquisition are are, are kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I mean, put aside Buell. You don't buy um, Indian, but you buy MB Augusta, right, which is you know, there's no there there. It's a nice name, but unless you're willing to be MB Augusta or find somebody who's going to be it for you, yeah, there's, there's kind of no point. Um, and Buell, Buell was weird, obviously. You know, you're Harley Davidson. You make, you know, you're you're worth twice as much as General Motors, and they can't buy Eric Buell a motor. <laughs> no, they had to use that Harley Davidson American-made. We had motor. these in a box. And a works. A Sportster motor is a cool motor if you want to make 37 horsepower. <laughs> but it's, it's I dream of 37 and weigh 400 pounds. You know, the motor. But no, I mean, it's just not. It, you know, and, and so like, I don't know. You know, a Buell. The last Buell I rode. You know, you know, it's it's a sport bike, so it has to have you know, high horsepower numbers. So you take a motor that's really good at making power, you know, lower in the rev band, and then you take that away and make it spin like a like a top. Now you have a Harley motor that that has no torque. Come on, huh. yeah, that was always puzzling to me. And I know I, I know Eric Buell, and I've been to his house, and you know he's a cool guy. You know, he it seems sometimes that he would rather innovate than than succeed. He he definitely has like he's like the. Uh... The, the mad scientist kind of guy, right? Yeah, right. It's just which is peculiar. You would think someone like Harley, who's got the business acumen, would be the perfect combo for someone who's a mad scientist. Wait, no, stop. Okay, now we need to make a little money with it. Okay, now do something cool again. Instead, it was like, how do we offload more of our parts into your little bike thing? Yeah, buy a motor. KTM can whip one up. You know, you know, they 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 do a new 450 single every three years. That's that everybody wants. You know, come on. I mean, it's not that hard to. When they made the V-Rod, they had to hire Porsche design, and they made a so they made a thousand cc high revving twin, which is kind of a cool motor. You know that would that would have made a good, you know, a decent sport tourer motor. You know, a a, a V-Rod's kind of fun, but you had to hire somebody else to make that motor for you because what you didn't understand water. It's so wet. What do we do? It's leaking everywhere. (laughs) They, they, They couldn't figure out where to put the skull. You know, and then they so then you call Rotax, which is you know not a bad idea. You know, only 20 years too late. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there, there, Chuck. Full disclosure, I ride a Buell Ulysses. That's okay. that's my Good bike. When it's running. More power to you, literally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, I haven't ridden a Ulysses, and, and it's, you know, that sounds like a... It, was a, it sounds like a nice idea. I 
people like people whom I know, some of them including you, have, have to- told me that there might be some reliability issues. Mine is cursed. Well, largely cursed with me as a writer and a mechanic. Well, well, <laughs> it's a pretty harsh curse. Well, but uh, yeah, it's got some uh, it's got some personality disorders. Right. And so I, you know, I've got a 650 V Strom, which has no personality. But <laughs> trust me, trust me, the, the Strom with personality can get old in a hurry. Yeah. How's how's your Strom running, Todd? Uh, it's stuffed up in the back of the garage right now. <laughs> after after the debacle with the icy uh, the icy alleyway in previous years, I'm sticking with the three wheeler for the moment. <laughs> wow, what three wheel? I've got a Euro Patrol that I uh, use instead of a car in the winter. Oh jeez. Oh my. God. Oh jeez. Oh. <laughs> you said the Buell sounds cool and the Euro is oh. vindication. <laughs> no, I, no I, I I nearly died about six times on one one day. <laughs> Busy day. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Hopefully, you've got a good 150 pounds of sand in the in the sidecar, and then you'll be fine. Then you may then you may make it. Wow, Todd, do you hear that? No, I pretty much go unloaded. <laughs> well, you, there's all that beer you smuggle in. Well, well only occasionally. Pretty much go unloaded. I love the sound of that. <laughs> well, you know, I have like uh, little stuff in it, but no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't run the ballast. I've, I. What? It's nice when there's somebody in there, and it handles a lot better, but. Okay, does that tell you something? <laughs> nah. Works a lot better. With you. Should I get a spotlight and hang it over Todd here? <laughs> Just put a big sparkless bottle in there and leave it. Trust me. Put it in the trunk and forget about it. What happened to you on the Euro? I went riding. Get into a you know a corner going the wrong way in the chairlift, and you try to slow down, it goes higher. If you try to speed up, it goes higher. If you try to brake, it, it goes higher. I, you know, I'm pretty good. I got pretty good at riding sidecars. I had a BMW K bike sidecar with a whole a Rolls fork on it and everything that I tested at one point for motorcycles, and I had it for a month. And I got some, you know I got pretty good at driving sidecars. The year old boy, I was real glad that I was on a road where nobody was coming at me. <laughs> it's road handling does leave something to be desired. However, it's still cheaper than a car. Good. Well, I guess that would depend on the car. Maybe you can get one of those three-wheel cars from Europe. <laughs> the ones that flip over all the time? Yeah, those. Just get an old Volvo and stay alive. <laughs> okay, pro tip. Euros will kill you. Well... And Buells are cool. I said, just put some weight in the sidecar. It's only tried to kill me the once when it locked up the rear wheel in rush hour traffic. Well, my Buell's never done that. It will. Yet. <laughs> so it's just that, well, you know, there's so many great motorcycles out there, you know, old old and new. You know, you know, the whole, I guess the whole point of the adventure thing was go the hell riding. Don't worry. Don't don't be getting more carbon fiber doodads and what do they call them? Dwingles or what? What it was? Farkles. It's not about sitting around buying more crap. It's about going riding. That, that's all I'm saying. Can you imagine like this cranky old guy? You kids and your farkles. Well, <laughs> get off of my lawn. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like Grandpa in the in the Simpsons. Put it. You know, I go. Oh, well, everybody has a GPS on their bike, so it must be a good thing. So you put a GPS on your bike. Now I'm watching this television again. <laughs> why I went riding in the first place, so I wouldn't be fucking ri- watching television. I know people with two GPSs on their bikes. <laughs> right. Just right. in case. Right, just in case. And you sort of go, well, but, you know, Magellan got around and he didn't have a, he didn't have a map. He had a Magellan GPS. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, because that, that's why they called right. it that, right? right? Poor Court Rand is, you know, I mean, pretty much has to, you know, he, he kind of needs to watch the gps just because the they're either you know you're either watching a map or watching a gps and the, the maps aren't good and the i mean he's had to to get garmin to good to do good gps maps of ecuador just because nobody goes there 
there's no there's no market. He contributes tracks to Garmin, and so you know he'll go somewhere, send track into Garmin, and then two weeks later, following the track that he sent in to Garmin, there's there's some sort of circular reasoning going on there. You know, people who people who want more crap on their motorcycles just need to go riding. <laughs> No, I love people who, they, they don't know why they don't like the suspension on their bike, but you can't have stock suspension. We have to make it better. Well, you have to better. Make, you have to make yourself better. <laughs> but nobody Ooh, wants that, to do that's that. A very, that's a very that's zen a, thing there. Mm. I don't like it. It's making me uncomfortable. Where's my Tech catalog? <laughs> exactly. I mean, just the whole idea of, you know, oh, I, want, I need to put a skid plate on my, on my V-Strom. No, I'm not going to be going over, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not going jumping over rocks on the thing. I'm, even you know, I rode. I didn't have to jump over anything. Todd, Todd's strangling himself here. Well, I, I will. <laughs> wait, wait. I, I love this. In, in fairness, if you were to let's totally hypothetically say bend the shit out of the center stand hole mounts on your frame of the V-Strom, putting the skid plate on is nice, so that you can service the rear wheel. I've heard from a friend. <laughs> okay. okay I, no. I, I was no, jumping I'm over saying, rocks. I'm just saying. So you're saying you installed like a jack point for your V-Strom? Is yes, that- that's pretty much what I did. It's incidental that it's a skid point. Right, but I'm, you know, but that's just not the right. If you're if you're running into big lardy shit on your V-Strom, you, you shouldn't be on a V-Strom. You should be like on the DR. Said, you know, I mean, if you're if you can't get there on a DR650, you probably shouldn't be there. Or I need to pick my roads better. <laughs> well, we were following that GPS. You know, I, you know, I mean, there were, you know, we could have picked, you know, big, they, you know, Ecuador Freedom had big. 1150 GSs and a 1200 GS and, you know, in V-Stroms that we were really, really, really glad we didn't pick. You know, there were only a couple places where, where you, you really needed a, you know, a full-on, where you needed a dirt bike to be a dirt bike. We were really glad that we had, you know, regular, you know just DR650s. I'm in love with the thing. You know, I, so that, I never that's your it. ideal bike is the DR650? Uh, this week, yeah. <laughs> Next week, the Goldwing. <laughs> Spoken like a motorcyclist. Goldwings are pretty cool. Todd. We're scared to ride a Goldwing. Todd is coveting Goldwings one. Goldwings are sick fun. I, I live in fear of riding a Goldwing because I'm going to get on the thing and I get back off and be like, oh, crap, now I need one. Sick With fun. a sidecar. They are I like I like being comfy. and They are sick fun. It's a sad fact that almost all motorcycles are pretty great. But a Goldwing is, honestly, it's just so... So wonderfully sick to just be playing, you know, Beethoven's Fifth, you know, on some twisty road while you just hurt guys on GSXR 600s. I mean, and you can, you know, I mean, it's, if you're sick enough, don't mind the sound of screaming metal. I think you know, Ford I, passes those guys giving I mean, them I've the finger. On, you know, and I've been a victim of that more often than I've been the, the client. I mean, I remember, you know, I sort of got out of motorcycling for a few years and then sort of got back in and started going on rides with the motorcyclist guys. And, uh, and I remember I was on a Ducati, and I look in my mirrors, and there's our photographer, Kevin Wing, on the Goldwing, and it's, you know, weaving in about four different directions. He's got all the camera gear up in the trunk, and he goes by me and takes my picture. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Holds up a sign that says smile. Yeah, and says, you're slow. You're really <laughs> The old guy on the Goldwing is always out there. That's like the, it's like a staple of the motorcycling world. You think you're awesome, and the old guy on the Goldwing shows up and schools your ass while he's drinking coffee. It can be done. <laughs> it really doesn't matter what kind of a motorcycle you're on. I mean, if you want to, you know, any. Just I love the whole idea. Oh, you need a, you know, I need a sport bike, you know, because I go, so, I go so goddamn fast. Or you know, I need an adventure bike because I'm going to have such a damn adventure. Or I'm on a naked bike because I'm a, I'm a rugged rebel. Because or... I'm damn naked. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> that might be a good reason. And and if you go riding for long enough, I mean, it doesn't absolutely doesn't matter what you're riding. The fast guys are going to go fast, and the slow guys are going to go slow. Never, it's almost never does the bike have anything to do with it. Unless you're and if you have a sidecar, people want you to carry yeah. stuff. We did a thing at motorcyclist a long time ago where we just took the sport bike and then the sport tourer version of a bike. You know, so we had a Ducati 998 and we had an ST4 or an ST4S, and most of the guys went faster on the racetrack on the sport tourer version, just because you could you could sit up and and you were more confident and feeling the front end. And okay, I'm talking to a guy. He says, you know, I got this Yamaha FZ1, and it's really bitching. You know, it's got this, you know, got got this, you know, nice four cylinder motor, thousand cc's. It's really powerful. And ride through town, and I can do a wheelie every now and then, and I'm I'm not hunched over this this thing. And it's, you know, I really enjoy that. And he says, you know, I know there's some guys who can go out on a street and, and ride an R, a Yamaha R1, ride it to, you know, close to its potential, but it's not me. You know, I can't do that. The guy was Eddie Lawson. Wow. He's <laughs> <laughs> got four or 500cc world champion medals in his upstairs bedroom. I talked to, you know, Kevin Schwantz gets off a GSX-R1000 at Willow Springs and says, you know, that thing kind of scares me. A GSX-R750, you know, I can kind of wring its neck, you know, and I can really make it work. A GSX-R1000 is just kind of too much motorcycle for me. Kevin Schwantz. <laughs> so it's all... Uh, I'm off to buy a scooter. Well, you know, if, if anyone's going to know his limits, it's going to be guys like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Piaggio MP3s are hilarious. No more, there's nothing more fun than being a tubby old guy riding an MP3 and you go out to the rock store and, and you know, just hurt guys. You, you can just get into corners just crazy fast on those things. We, we rode them. We, we approved of those heartily. <laughs> we got to ride those. Those are fun. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, you, you wouldn't want to be seen. Well, we do have a show with nerds in the title. Yeah. Okay, good point. <laughs> so what are you working on these days, Dexter? So I just did a, I just did a new magazine called Bike Craft. So I just did a piece for him. I'm working that story oh. for the New York Times. Pretty exciting on, uh, you know, basically the fact that cars are lasting a whole lot longer than they used to. So like 200,000 miles is the new 100,000 miles, which is not as exciting as going to Ecuador. No, not no. really, no. You, you need to write an article about how faux vintage motorcycle riders are the new douchebags. <laughs> they may well be. Just I mean, be you, Chuck. No, it's not just me. Faux vintage? I mean, the bikes are not... So they're not really vintage? Right, like the, the Triumph Thruxton or the Triumph Scrambler. You know, these are modern bikes with like fuel injection that is made to look like a carburetor. But you know, you, you, you see a lot of pictures now of guys like Ewan McGregor and Brad Pitt riding you know, Urals and, and Triumphs. And Those might not be entirely faux, That's speaking as someone who works on one a lot. Well, you, yeah, well right. Ewan was on that Ural ST that Hammerhead customized up. So yeah. the new It bike. Yeah. So it'll be well. I mean, you know, for a while. I mean, in the seventies, you know, this is you know, this is just coming around again. I mean, in you know, in nineteen seventy six, when I came to L A., you know, there there were perfectly restored Triumph Bonnies on every freaking street corner. It was the gay community, and these guys, you, you had to have a Bonnie, and everybody huh. had to, everybody had a mustache. Everybody looked like Freddie Mercury without the overbite. <laughs> and I was all for it. You know, hell, if these guys want to, you know, ride, you know, for God's sakes, I mean, I don't know how they got the. The things there, you know, presumably they had to like start them and ride them and stuff, and and I don't know, how, <laughs> no, it's really hard to do that for anybody on a 650 Bonnie, and uh, you know the and the gay community is a lot of things, but they're not really into wrenching, so stereotypically speaking, typically, you know, I, mean, I know I'm being, I know I'm going out on, out on a limb here, but and hate mail go, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just. You know, I don't know a lot of women who, you know, who who want to go out and and clean the grease off of an old GPZ 550 frame that I have lying around. 
Um, is that an innuendo? <laughs> no, I'm just knowing that they're very smart. I mean, men are, men are very silly things. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I, I keep picturing this new ad from Triumph of, of a girl, and it's zoomed in on her crotch, and her panties just say, you're Triumph here. Okay, now you're in the business. Sweet. I will um, wait for my giant check. I mean, you know, good for Triumph. They can make it work. Anything you want to plug last minute here, all yours? Nope. Well, that's great. Sorry. <laughs> Dexter Ford. Bye, Dexter Ford. He'll I, put a crotch on I things. Had, <laughs> if it had any sense, I guess I would have a website and, you know, it would all be all about me, but... I don't know. You do have a website. I've seen it. Well, but that's, that's where I saw the picture of the girl's crotch. Right, but that's just sort of me as a freelance writer. Ah. <laughs> it's not me as a, you know, here's the latest from me. Please hire me. <laughs> well, money. Applied. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show with us. Uh, it was uh, great talking to you finally. Oh, stop it. Okay, fine. It wasn't. It was no fun talking to you. Whatsoever. This is terrible. <laughs> this will never make it on the air. Finally, Damn you, Ford! Finally, somebody does what I tell them. Damn it, nerds! <laughs> Get your shit together. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, man. All right, so go. Another guest who says, "Just go, just and go, go, go." Another cranky old guy. Yeah, we got a few of them kicking around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But that guy, I mean, Dexter, he's done so much. He's flown fighter jets. He's rode bikes. He's driven fast cars. So I got, I got one thing that occurred to me. He said he's been doing motorcycle journalism since he was nineteen. Can you imagine at nineteen telling your mom, "I'm going to be a motorcycle journalist for a job"? <laughs> that wow. The the conversation that followed. Just wow, man. The equivalent for our generation was, I'm going to get a job writing about video games. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a professional gamer. (laughs) I'm really good at Doom. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. You know, we posted up on on Twitter and Facebook asking people to send in ideas of stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. And we got a good one here from James from The Pace. I know you guys have talked about motorcycle camping in the past, but I'm a complete noob. What I need to know before I start buying gear? What common mistakes should I avoid? Hmm. Buying too much stuff that you don't necessarily need might be high on the list. Too much high high brand stuff. Don't go into the REI with the credit card. Uh, I would say broadly true with a few exceptions. The one thing I would say, and I would say the thing... To focus on the thing you want is really good sleeping accommodations. Because if you're not getting a good night's sleep, you're going to be miserable no matter where you are. Yeah, you want a, a, a good bag and a pad. Good bag, good pad, good tent. I could I, I could see starting out with a newbie tent. Because if you can sleep, you can bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You can buy food on the road. You know, whatever. If you can sleep, you'll be okay. Everything else is, you know, negotiable. Right. Well, I, I would say, you know, when if you're going to start out camping, first thing you got to do is... Camp in your backyard. Uh, yeah, good idea. Actually. Put your tent up. In fact, it's a good idea if you're buying sleeping bags or something to get in the bag in the store at REI or whatever. Go to sleep in it. Take a nap. Take like a, a quick power yeah, power nap. Yep. Yeah, they'll be cool with that. They're they're, they're all right. Yeah. That might be a little over the top, but definitely get into the bag. Especially if the bag's hanging on the rack, just climb into that fucker right there. <laughs> Most of them actually have a setup where you can test a bag and a pad out. And anyone in an outdoor store who gives you a hard time because you want to get into a bag and see what it feels like needs their head examined. <laughs> you need to go to a different store if they do that. But yeah, test your stuff out and know that it works for you because what is great for one person, you know, the Big Agnes Lost Ranger that I use, which I think is the greatest thing in the world, is probably not the right thing for other people. Mm-hmm. They're going to find it uh, too big, too small, funny shaped. Who the hell knows? Yeah. You want to do your first, you know, you want to do your tryouts in the store. You want to do 
try out camping. And, and, and that's where I think someone could get away with uh, a cheaper tent mm-hmm. to just try it. If, I would say for your first trip that's not at your backyard, go to a KOA that's yeah. nearby. It's a good idea. Check the weather report. Make sure it's a fair weekend. Just, you know, try it out. Yeah, see how you sleep in a tent. Yeah, you might not like it. Yeah, I know people who can't sleep at all in tents. I'm the exact opposite. I can't sleep in a hotel room. It's worth a damn. You know what I want to try sleeping in? What's that? A hammock. I used to do that. I, I think it'd be kind of cool to, to do hammock camping. I used to do the hammock. It's a pretty good way to go because um, it does get you off the ground, which is nice. It does get you off the ground, which is problematic when it's cold because mm-hmm. then air circulates underneath you, which gets exciting. I've been reading the hammock forums about mm-hmm. how to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's things you can do, and the hammock setup has the advantage of being pretty small, pretty compact, and sets up. Very well. small, very compact. The yeah. downside of the hammock setup is you do need a place to hang a hammock. I've seen stuff around that, too. Where? Where they're being like posts? Or something? No. Um, I'm thinking of Bumblefuck Nowhere Desert. Yeah, no. What, what, uh, what the Hennessy hammocks, what uh-huh. they do, you can't be a hammock at that point because you're in Buffalo Desert, whatever. Yeah. You string one line up over the bike, uh-huh. and you got, at that point, sort of a bibby sack. Okay. And that's what you sleep in for the night. So you've got, you're sleeping in a bibby sack versus a hammock. Sure. Okay. I mean, you still got your pad and stuff, so. Yep. Yeah, but at that point, I mean, it's just a tent. It's just a tent, but, you know. It's that that's your fallback. That's not your go to, that's mm-hmm. your fallback. Yeah, I did the, I did the hammock thing for a while. I did like it as a solo camper. It's a great way to go. Frankly, with the motorcycle gear, I could start to get a little annoyed because one of the things I do like about the tent with motorcycle gear is the vestibule. Mm-hmm. I can pull all of my gear inside where it's in out of the rain, out of harm's way, yeah. and pull it into my vestibule with me, and then it's you know there if I need it, want it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I guess with, with the, the hammock guys, they get like oversized tarps to try to accomplish well, that. Well, yeah, your standard thing you do is you sling uh, your hammock in one line between the trees, and then you sling a line of it and you put your tarp over, over that. that that's, yeah. that's pretty much the de facto like sleeping in a hammock thing. yeah yeah um, and you sleep in the hammock by the way when you're in a hammock always sleep diagonally in the hammock a lot of people want to put their head toward the tree and their feet toward a tree that don't work no because you're gonna be folded up yeah what you do is you turn yourself diagonally and then actually lets you lie in something flat yep yep common mistake and something like the hennessy hammock if you sleep straight you come out because that's how you get in and out you come go in through the bottom of those things oh interesting okay and uh you sleep you you sit yourself diagonally and the, your body weight forces it closed. Huh. Mine was not a, a fancy Hennessy hammock. Mine was a cheap, like, paracord hammock. Yeah, well, Hennessy looks pretty sweet. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm very tempted by the idea. I might uh-huh. try that this year. All right. We'll see how um, it goes. But I've got a cool tent, so that that's kind of holding me back. I love my stoic. I'm, I'm needing to replace my personal just taught tent. It's uh, the fly ripped on our last trip. The uh, pole broke, and it's it's as if I've slept uh, over a year's <laughs> worth of days in it over the course of its life. Oh, wait, I have. <laughs> oh, you know what you should do, uh, James, is borrow gear. Not the sleeping bag. Well, yeah, but you know, don't don't borrow sleeping bags. Don't don't spring for a whole camp kitchen setup if mm-hmm. you're not oh, no. sh- if you're not no, sure no. you're going to enjoy it. You know, go you know find someone who does camp, go with them, and you know take your mm-hmm. bare minimum and, and see if you even enjoy doing. Find it. someone like me who brings the giant kitchen with them, and then you just need to bring sleeping stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you don't have to cook ever. <laughs> and if you try to, they'll look at you funny. Hit you with a spoon. Yeah. I get that big spoon around both for cooking and defense. Shoo, shoo you away. Whoosh. And you'll have to hide in your tent eating, you know, snacks after lights are out. And you, hopefully they're asleep and not listening. Is that freeze-dried food I hear? That better not be freeze-dried. No. I'm <laughs> masturbating. Uh. Okay, that's fine. Just as long as you're not eating. <laughs> yeah, that's happened. Common mistakes you should avoid. Not putting up your tent before leaving on the Oh, trip. my God, yes. Number one. Tip of tips. 
put up your tent first several times. In the backyard, in the house. Yeah. Don't be the guy that's trying to thumb through an instruction sheet in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and you always laugh, and you're like, oh, I'm never going to set my tent up in the dark. And then our last trip, it was tent set up in the dark. Yep, but we knew how to do it. But unfortunately, yeah, I'd set mine up 300 times, even with a broken pole. Yep. Take a hammer. Take a hammer. Yeah, a hammer or some, something to pound things with. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, uh, remember that wooden spoon I was talking about that's really big? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can work. put tent stakes in with that? Yeah, you, you, you just tape a rock to it. <laughs> Don't overthink your food. Also a good idea. That's that's a big common newbie mm-hmm. mistake is you take enough food for a month. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, don't don't get too hung up on the camping food because, frankly, if you're out for two days, a cooler uh, the yeah. size of a six-pack will hold most of the food you need to yeah. keep cold. And most food you don't need to keep cold. Yeah, you, know? you don't need all the backpacker pantry freeze-dried stuff. No, that, that stuff, A, sucks, and um, B, is expensive as shit. Another good pro tip for the food, repack your food at home. Oh, yeah. Before you, you put it in. You know, everything can be put into smaller containers in the Ziplocs. Mm-hmm. You know, it condenses real nicely. You don't need to pack a station wagon full of cardboard boxes. No, I dice up random uh, random veggies at home, toss them in a little bucket, bring some rice, and, you know, there's a pretty good meal right there. Yeah. Uh, don't forget beer. Don't forget the beer. That's important. If you do that, if your flask works for you, then more power to you. I really – I need a beer <laughs> when I'm Mead. settling in. So, yeah, practice practice your camp at home before you go. Mm-hmm. Find someone to go with that you can borrow, share gear. And worry about sleeping. And worry about – yeah, your sleeping is where you're going to really feel it. Sleeping so. is not optional. Everything else is. Yeah. Don't, don't skimp on your pad. If you want a thick air mattress, then – do that. Go for broke. Sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. Todd likes to sleep. <laughs> I like to sleep comfortably because then I can go and have fun the next day and not be like, Ugh. I just need a private tent so I can wank. That's that's my requirements. <laughs> I don't want to share a tent. God. At your bachelor party, that's why I slept in the car and <laughs> sit in a tent with a bunch of guys. I'm dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the pace, <laughs> they had an interesting thing on their show. Chris being very clever about uh, having heated brake and clutch levers because his cl- brake and clutch levers are cold. Here's the official Todd pro tip for that. Ready? Yep. While you're in REI buying good sleeping gear, yep. buy one of those Camelback hose insulators. It's just a neoprene sleeve yeah. and then cut it to, to length. It's about the right size. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cut it to length. That's a pretty good tip. It uh, it works great. Take that, the pace. <laughs> ha! Ha! Uh, ha! Balls in your court with all of your more listeners. Should we do listener mail? I think it's time for listener mail. All right. uh, First one's from Cameron. Hey, Chuck and Todd, how did I find your show? The the pace. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, This is my first email, so I will start it with a little gushing about your show. You guys are hilarious and great to listen to. Your interviews are great, too. Your guests really go along with your style of interviewing and have as much fun as you do. Keep it up. Most of them. Anyway. Alcohol helps. Mm. We we try to booze them up (laughs) before they get on the air with us. Uh, Chuck, you mentioned that you... You mentioned a cool shop near your mom's in San Diego. What is this place? I live very close to San Diego and want to check it up. It's called South Bay Motorsports. It's in Chula Vista, which is uh, like South Bay, five minutes from the border. Mm. Um, If you do go in there, look for the kind of cute cashier with the giant rack because she always wears like deep neckline shirts. Great big rack of gloves right next to her. Right. Pro tip, look for the chick with the rack. Tell her Chuck says hi. (laughs) 
and ask her about the restraining <laughs> and the mace. Uh, and so yeah, there you go. South Bay Motorsports in Chula Vista. Uh, okay, here we go. Continuing. Here is my input on gloves. I recently got a pair of the Lee Parks Deerskin gloves and love them. You can't find them in stores, only on his website or at his uh, motorcycle events. I've seen him at MotoGP race in Laguna Seca, yeah. Long Beach Motor Show. Cameron's suggesting him as a guest for a show. Go check out his pictures and his book, Total Control. We'll see if we can get him. Absolutely. Thanks, and- Cameron. You got some new gloves recently, yeah? Yeah, I got a new set of uh, the Aerostitch Alskin Ropers. I uh, like them a lot. Yeah, you, they're uh, you, they're breaking in nicely. Okay, I'm. You know, I haven't been wearing. I haven't been riding lately, so I've got nothing. I every day. I put condoms on my fingers. That's about it. <laughs> every day, as folks can see from the pictures of our weather reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. let me tell you. You sponge all that snow off it after you get in the garage. You know, I run, I just run a towel over it just to get like the big heavy globs of snow off, so it doesn't all melt on the bike. Yep. And still, like a lake melts off of the <laughs> bike. I don't know where it's hiding it. There this, is some place. There is just like this fucking giant brick of snow under that Ural. The sidecar? No, no, because the sidecar is covered. I don't hmm. know where it is, but it is. There is a shit ton of snow melting off from something under there. Under the fairing? I, I have no idea. Okay. It's yeah. underneath the bike in the morning. Okay. But that's just where the low spot in the garage is. <laughs> All right. Let's hit our next letter. An enthusiast of dubiously reliable bikes named Craig writes, Hey, Chuck. Hey, Todd. Okay, I'll start it the other way so no one feels slighted. Hey, Todd. Hey, Chuck. Hey, how come you even mention Todd at all? Because I'm awesome. <laughs> so awesome. You smell awesome. Craig in South Pasadena with the Ural and the Enfield. Oh, wow. I saw this video, saw the mountains in the background, and thought maybe it was Chuck having problems with the Buell, and he sent us a video that we'll post up on the site of a guy lighting the rear wheel of his scooter. Screw you. On fire. <laughs> Screw and you. So I neglected to answer the question about your Enfield and what I think of it. This bike has friggin' torque. For a 500cc fuel-injected 5-speed that looks innocent, this thing loves to move. Of course, I've been used to the Ural and lumbering down the road and reaching an insane 57 miles an hour. Of course, that was recently when we had bad windstorms that raged up to 100, and I just happened to be on the road. And he's going downhill. Mm-hmm. You can get better than 57. The Enfield is not the best commuter bike for me in La La Land, needing to take a change of clothes and other things for work and the space needed. But the Ural? Do you have enough stuff? Pack more. The Ural can take it. It's a manly bike. And more Ural news. It's featured on the front cover of the Winter Hammer Hammer Schlimmer? Hammerker Hammerker Schlimmer catalog. Okay. And and he sent us a link to the the ad in the catalog. I'm sorry. Once you make the Hammerker Schlimmer catalog, you are officially douchebag. Yeah. You you remember what the last ad we ran from them that was from this catalog? It was the Tron Light Cycle. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's all gone wrong. I need to I need to get the speed triple with the sidecar now just so I can be cool. I'm going to tell my wife. She'll be... You need to that. get the Denipper MT. That's your only hope. <laughs> <laughs> there is no hope. Denipers are involved. <laughs> You're in the... You've made Hammerker. you got Brad Pitt riding it. Uh, I've gone... I've gone off the edge. You've, you've gone farther hipster than I have. And so I thank, bought a faux vintage bike. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> he says he'd love to get the Euro up here for Speed Week sometime. That's a long trip on a Euro. Yeah. <laughs> Although I still do want to try to get it out on the track next year if we can manage it. I'm sure they'd let you do it. It's not like you're going to go fast enough to crash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Besides, you're going to be in the sidecar helping me keep it on the ground. Oh, yeah. I need okay. some ballast and you're it. Okay, we got uh, last letter from Dan the Gear Whore. I can't remember which of you has the T's Lombard suit. But I am thinking it might be the ticket for my Alaska trip this June. How do you deal with rain, uh, the eternal liner, or an exterior rain suit? Is it easy off and on? 
I should probably just go with my arrow stitch fall stuff and Darien pant combo, but I am a gear whore. Oh man, I mean he's already got arrow stitch stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking buying the, the Taze might be overkill given that you've already got pretty solid arrow stitch stuff. Quite frankly, I'm gonna say you you won't be happy with the Lombard. Maybe the new their new power shell mm-hmm. is gonna be more his speed. Yeah, what makes you say that? Um, because he got he's got a fall staff in the Darien pants, so it's you know this is that's a fairly comfy combo, right? I think. Well, it sounds like he's just fishing for an excuse to buy, you know, I could well be more clothes. I want a one piece suit. I want to wear a spacesuit like Chuck and Todd because that that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. In which case, I love my Lombard. Dealing with rain, an exterior rain suit's the way to go. Mm-hmm. It could take, if you're just commuting in rain, you're probably okay on the Lombard. But if you're touring, then, yeah, you're going to want to pull over and pull on a suit, mm-hmm. a rain suit over it. Totally. Fog togs, something like that. Yep. That's why I was thinking he might want to look at the power shell, just because it seems to have more options and more it's, versatility. Yeah, it's still not going to be any more waterproof, frankly. It's you know it'll be the nylon with the DWR, which is good right up until it's not. At which point, it's right. pretty bad. So I, I think I, Gazi's recommendation of have the external rain suit stands. Yeah, yeah. In either case. Yeah, I mean, if you just want a one piece, you're not going to go wrong with any of Gazi's stuff. That's I've nope. been super happy with the Lombard. Easy on, easy off. You you learn to dance. I am so jealous of that easy on. I almost pitched myself into my desk, cracking my head open today, <laughs> trying to get out of my Olympia because I forgot the second inner zipper and tried to lift up my foot and it hooked and suddenly I was standing on the side of a boot in the snow and it was bad. Okay, I'm going to say, yeah, it's really easy on, easy off. You, you get your arms in the thing, you get your leg in the thing, and then you basically do the karate kick leg hop. With your mm-hmm. arms in the air yeah. and everything. And the suit's just on. At that point, it's one big zipper. Yeah, I'm, I'm insanely jealous of that one big zipper. Um, I, was, I was looking at the power shell today. <laughs> Still trying to pick colors. I I've, tell you, Jolly, Jolly Green Giant and, and White Stripe. Yeah, I thought that I thought would look that one. badass. Straight British racing green. I'm thinking the tan. I also kind of like the dark brown. The trouble is, if I got the dark brown, I get shot every time we went in the woods. <laughs> you're like, it's a freaking bear! And you're like, no! And I'd be inside the helmet, so all they'd hear is, what? <laughs> It's fucking Bigfoot! <laughs> you know, we've got this entire show and you haven't said a thing about my face. Well, I, I try not to give you too hard a time about being ugly. <laughs> You've managed to keep a straight face looking at me this whole time. My daughter has pe- face painted me before Todd got here. i got to be honest, it's not the weirdest thing that's ever going on with Chuck in this room. <laughs> yeah. I'm numb. Numb to it. Well, I'm, I'm, well, I don't know. I'm kind of numb to the smells and the sounds. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. My wife has a very bad sense of smell. That's why she's my wife. <laughs> All right. So thanks, Dan, for uh, that one. This is an interesting thing from the Facebook page. Someone asked about uh, first-time track days, and neither one of us has done a real track day. What you need is you need a, a tight leather suit in totally sweet colors, and and Repsol stickers add like three horsepower, and you need a, a Z X Z R R one thousand bajillion. Okay, so for you, Mike, I am going to do track day this year. Cool. I don't know if I'm going to do it. On, if, I guess I could do it on the Buell. It's a sport bike. Mm, uh, you'd have to read 
Oh, yeah, and it's air cooled, so you might be able to get away with it. You could yeah. always rent a bike. I could always rent a bike. I'll do a track day, and, and we'll cover it. I'll drag you out with me to I'll sit out on the and side laugh. and be like, there they go. That will be on tap for this year, and, and we'll talk about the, the whole first-time track day because I know a lot of people that just, they, they gush about it. Our, our local BMW dealer rents the track, and they oh, and they bring their own bikes, so you could take their bikes out. Interesting. So, okay, we'll do that. I want the one with the stereo. Not the, not the speed triple? The speed triple R. It'll be on a track in a controlled environment. They'll want you to go fast. <laughs> hmm. Interesting point. I think Todd's just reconsidered the track day. <laughs> I still, I still, I think the number one thing I still want to do is I want to get the Ural on the track and just go for broke. Yeah. Well, we could do that during a sport tour day. Yeah. yeah we'll yeah. go out for the, the sport touring thing. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I talked about, I was talking to a friend who does track days about this question and he, he made the point that the, uh, the sport touring track day is not really the track day experience. It's a, it's no, a different it's not. animal altogether. It's, it is. Track day is a unique thing of its own. Which is why I'm saying we will do a track day. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I will, I'm speaking for me. You, you do a track day. I will do a track I'll day. I'll watch. Make fun of you. I'll bring Todd out there and just show him the speed triple and be like, dude, there's no one riding it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back and yeah. weep. We will tears see what happens. On my 30 horsepower. <laughs> You know, Mike from BMW will be there and be like, dude, just get on it. <laughs> just take the fucking thing out. <laughs> <laughs> and we will have Wheel Nerds track day. And I will arrive back before I leave. Uh, are we planning any epic trips this year? I'm going to the store the hard way. I've got nothing epic lined up yet. I got nothing epic lined up, but I'm uh, I'm hoping to explore some more uh, Utah dirt roads with the Ural with that uh, map we got coming from Butler. Mm-hmm. I think there's some some real possibilities there. Mm-hmm. We shall um, see. I'm probably going to do some sort of oh fuck I'm 40, mm-hmm. go away for a little while by myself kind of ride by yourself. Okay, yeah. I'll sit at home and cry in my beer. Stand by the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Stand by the phone. Jack's gonna call any minute. I <laughs> is it bad if I pull over and the bike is on fire? No, oh, you're fine. Just ride it off. <laughs> I didn't pack a fire. What do you do? What if the bike catches on fire? <laughs> Wave your hands around in the air, run in a circle, preferably vaguely away from the bike. And with that, Todd, what have you learned? I have learned that I'm Bigfoot waiting to happen. I've learned that sleeping is the most important thing in life. All right, well, that's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheelnerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.